0: Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. So last week I <clears throat> I finished up our, our journey through the book of James. And so I no longer had a, a sermon guide to sort of help lead me a little bit. So I was going, all right, God, what do you want me to share on next? And um, I wanted to do something a bit different just to sort of change things up a little bit. So I've got some got a PowerPoint this week. It's so not something I do regularly. But um, hopefully just some visual cues might just make it a bit more engaging, a bit more interesting. So as you can see, my title of what I'm speaking about is Giant Killers. So I hinted with the kids there. I'm gonna, gonna have a look at this story of David and Goliath a little bit. But to start off, I just want to sort of you know talk about how, especially here in Australia, for whatever reason, there's something about the Australian culture and the Australian nature that, you know. We love that underdog story, don't we? It's something about you know that that, that ability of people to sort of dig in and, and get that grit and just overcome yeah you know, something great. And we've got lots of stories in our past from that. Yeah, so you know going right back to the Eureka Stockade, even though that was a rebellion and you know these people were technically going against the laws of the at the time, but they felt that it was unjust and, and wrong, and so they, they they made a stand and that, that flag that they put up has become almost this symbol of, you know, for some rebellion, but for others sort of saying, no, we want to stand up for for what's true and what's right. You know, Ned Kelly, even though he was a crook, (laughs) for whatever reason, here in Australia, we we sort of held him up there as this guy of interest and and, and, and acclaim. And it was because he, he, you know, even though it was wrong in what he did, but he took this stand, he stood up against a host of police and, you know, Yes, he got caught and yes it was wrong but it's interesting how the australian culture sort of captured him as almost a hero in that way anti-hero you could say and gallipoli you know the very reason why we we celebrate anzac is you know obviously remember what the service was but just the the fact that we sort of highlighted at this point of gallipoli was because it was such a a gutsy stand so even though they were up such tough odds they had to you know, land at this beach and they're getting fired upon from the, the tops of the hills it was it was just the wrong place to land and in hindsight they knew that they actually, they actually did land at the wrong beach but the Aussies and the Anzacs got in there and just dug in and fought and fought and they technically lost that battle but it's become this iconic thing of just you no, know, that they just dug in and, and show true grit and show true um true courage in that sense so not only in our history is there these underdog stories that we sort of just lean into and people enjoy, you know, in our sport. Now, Kieran Perkins winning back-to-back gold in the 1,500 metres. I think it was 96 and 92 it would have been, four years prior. So he won, won the first year and he came back the, the following four years and they thought, oh, no, surely he won't do it again, you know, he's, he, he had illness and injuries and a few things that held him back. But I think it was the Atlantic Olympics 96, he still just powered through in that final. One gold again. Yeah, I don't really remember this one, but some of you might. Yeah, Australia two taking the Americas Cup. Yeah, it was huge news of the time. And Bob Hawke, he he declared an instant public holiday, didn't he? Is that right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so it was an unofficial, just not. Nah, this is too good not to in, not, not to celebrate. And Bob Hawke just being that true Aussie, just said, "Come on, let's just let's just celebrate this." You know, it, it was. It, it's still one of those iconic stories in Australian history. They sort of go, "Yeah, winning that America's Cup was was just huge, apparently." And um, in my re- like putting this together, you know, it actually broke a 132-year streak. So the the, the winning teams, the American teams, had won it always. But yeah, all of a sudden, these Aussies came through and, and got it. For those soccer fans, yeah, when Australia finally got into the World Cup after a very long time away from it, I, I think they hadn't been in a World Cup since, since like the 70s. So in 2006, when they, when they beat Uruguay and finally got in, for all the soccer fans, that was huge. So I don't know if there's many soccer fans here. but um, <laughs> So they, they got in again this year, as far as I know, is that right? Yeah. So so yeah. So, so the is are going well, but yeah, that one in particular was a real highlight. And this one, this last one, you know, I'm sure when I put it up, you'll sort of recognize it because it, it, it's, it's become a saying now in Australia. Good old Bradbury. <laughs> I actually watched the video again when I was putting this together of his last race. And, you know, apparently he actually knew that he would be at the back of the pack. And so he just went, well, I'm just gonna stick back and not try and stick around on the heels just in case. And little behold it just before that finish line. One went down, and then three went down, and he just zipped past. <laughs> and yeah, when, you, when you see his face, when it happens, he's just like, oh! <laughs> it's, you know, and it's become this saying now, isn't it? You know, he, someone pulls a Bradley. <laughs> Bradbury. Yeah. So it was our first Winter Olympic gold. So yeah, a lot of luck in that one. But at the same time, we, 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 we lean into these stories of you know, people beating you know, these, these un, un, unsurmountable odds. You know, what is it about? There's a romance to it, there's an excitement to it, there's an emotion that these stories stir in us. You know, we love the notion of victory found in unexpected places when the odds are stacked against the weaker party. And maybe this is because we actually do relate to it. Maybe in our journey through life, we realise that life's not fair. We learn that pretty quickly. You know, kids, kids don't like learning that lesson. <laughs> you know? The amount of kids I've had to work through in the primary school... To teach them that it's it's okay to lose a game. It's going to happen. You know, you're not going to win everything, and sometimes things aren't fair. Sometimes other kids will cheat, and you know we just got to move on sometimes. And so these stories we we, we can relate to it because we go well. I know that life's not unfair, and so I still want to have victory. So if someone else can beat the odds, maybe I can. So I'm not here to analyze you know this 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 aspect of our culture of the underdog, but it definitely ties into this story of. David and Goliath, doesn't it? You know, it's this is actually a, w- w- one of those stories that's up there is probably one of the most iconic stories out of scripture. You know, you'll find this story in pretty much every kid's Bible because this is an easy one to, to, to picture and create an image. And um, you know, the more dramatic, the better. You know, it's always this you know, muscle-bound, raging warrior bearing down on this short skinny kid, you know, and the bigger the better. You know, like it's it really has become one of these stories of, of legend, you could almost say. And people sort of you know, use this and you know, it's become sayings, you know, coined phrases around, you know, like, like, like you know, this person's facing a David and Goliath scenario, or you know, you know, we need to face our giants. All those sorts of things come out of this story. Even the inspiration for like Jack and the Beanstalk stories and things like that came from this. We love the idea that even with unsurmountable odds, God can be on our side and fight for us. It speaks of power and promise. It speaks of hope and life. Because if God can do this for David, then maybe he can do this for us. So what I want to do, if you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have a look at the story. And so it's in 1 Samuel, chapter 17. So there are Bibles at the back if you want. And it's a great little story. It just fills that chapter. So if you're ever wanting to read it to kids or something like that, it's, it's quite an interesting one. I do find quite often the kids' Bibles blur over the last little bit where he chops off Goliath's head. <laughs> bit bit grisly, but it's there. So just to start, let's read those first three verses. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at the Sokar in Judea. And they pitched camp at Eph's Damim between Sokar and Az- Azikah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites on another with the valley between them. And so this is an area in Israel that they can't identify. The name of Elah, the Valley of Elah, uh, is, is carried through their history and they've been able to say, well, this is where this would have happened. Uh, so apparently there are some hikes and walks and little monuments and things like that that describe this battle. And um, that... That area of Soka is actually the, the sort of the foothills before you get into the real hill country of, of Jerusalem and Bethlehem and things like that. And so the Philistines, they were, they were coastal people. They actually came from Crete, technically. But they were, they were, they were seafarers. But they came over, they, they took control of the coastal region of that land of Israel. Yeah, that's where um, Tel Aviv is now, on, on, on the modern maps. But they wanted to go in further. They wanted to take more of the land. And so they came into this area of Soka. so the foothills. And it's a series of valleys that you have to go through before you actually get into the real hill country. And so this is where they technically stopped. You know, the the Philistines got there, the uh, Israelites got there, and they obviously got there at similar times because no one sort of took the the advantage and they, they sort of came to this stalemate because if you're familiar with any sort of battle tactics, for any one of them to go into the valley, they put themselves at a disadvantage because all of a sudden they'd have to fight uphill like we did at Gallipoli. And it's just, it makes it a whole lot harder. So it's a real place. It's really happened. You know, we've got to make sure, you know, side note, you know, when we're telling kids, we're reading, reading kids stories from the Bible that we don't, sometimes I try to avoid even the term story. I like to say, you know, we're, we're going to read about a historical account. You know, this is something that happened. It's not just a Bible. It's not just a, a fairy tale. So they have, they're at this stalemate. They're at this deadlock in the valley. You, know, you can sort of picture it in that picture there. You know, across one hill, there would have been one battle. Um, Battlefront, you know, the, the infantry standing there ready to go, and on the other side the, the Philistines. And so the Philistines come up with a plan. They go, ah, time to pull out the secret weapon. Enters the giant. So I keep reading there, yeah, verse four. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, which is about nine and a half feet. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs, he wore bronze gleaves and a bronze javelin that was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is about 15 pounds. So, yeah, you know, say about seven kilos. Yeah, you know, it's quite a, quite a heavy javelin spear in that sense. And his shield bearer went out ahead of him so Goliath, you know, we're given this description of this warrior, and that's why we get those pictures like in those previous slides, you know? This hulking man, nine and a half feet tall, would have walked out and he would have stood, stood, you know, head and shoulders above his people around him. And describing the weight and the, the size of this armour, you know, it does depict this idea that he was just a strong man, this great warrior. And the fact is, the scripture calls him a champion. Yeah, he was their champion warrior. So, what was Israel's response? Fear. They saw him, and they heard his challenge. So, what what the, the, the Philistines did was they made this challenge of sort of saying, "Well, okay, let's not let's not all just fight it out because that's just going to you know, kill off half of us. How about we just have a battle, a one-on-one battle? You send your champion, we'll send ours. And whoever wins, they declared the winner." And the other side becomes a slave of the slaves of the other other side. So part of Goliath's statement there. You now, verse 10. It says, Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. But Israel's response, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israel Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And this went on for 40 days. Every day Goliath would come out and make this statement but I ask you has Goliath actually done anything yet has he actually proved himself in any way no he's, he's simply made his presence known he's thrown some mean words around and challenged but I wonder if this sounds familiar for me as I started to reflect on this I thought of you know, Jesus in the desert when the devil came and tempted him he made his presence known threw some words around, put a challenge out there, but it didn't actually do anything. Maybe sometimes we've had some battles, battles of the mind particularly, where the enemy comes in, makes himself known, instills some fear in some way, says some mean words or sows seeds of doubt, but has he actually done anything yet? Has he actually beat you yet? No. We've just made a response according to this presence and this voice. So this went on for 40 days. But then answers David. And as we're telling the kids, you know, David was the youngest of this family. Some people actually have pondered whether he was actually even a legitimate son of Jesse. That he might have actually been a a child of a a second wife or or, 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 um, a concubine of some sort or something like that. That's why he wasn't actually there at the family festival. So when Samuel asks, do you have any other kids? He's like, oh, well, actually, yeah, I do have this other last kid, but he's out watching the sheep. So it was the smallest of the smallest. But Jesse needing to send some provisions to his sons, because the fact is, in those days, the king wouldn't actually necessarily provide for all his soldiers. So the families would have to send provision for their, for their sons that were fighting in the, in the battle. So he sends David. David takes some food to his brothers. But then he hears and sees Goliath's challenge. And he starts asking about it. And for the first few, he gets shut down. His brother's like, oh, go away. You just want to see see a fight. You're just here to make trouble. But he keeps asking and eventually finds out that, yeah, that that this this guy's been making this challenge for 40 days. And the king's actually said that if anyone's willing to to fight him and wins, he'll get get the king's daughter. And his family will be tax-free. And it's interesting that David obviously made himself known because word got round that there was this person. not sure if King Saul realised that he was just a young kid. But someone was asking about it and actually taking a decent interest in this challenge. And so the king calls for David. So we're going to drop down a couple of verses. Go to verse 32. And this is what David says. I love it. Here he is talking to the king of Israel. So David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. It says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fighting. I love how candid <laughs> they decided to make that statement. You yeah, no, no qualms, no no, you know, big promises or anything like that. He just says, look, I'll go. I'm willing. So don't worry about this. And Saul replied, You are not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Now, how often do people question us when we say we're going to go do something? It's not that they're necessarily against us, but maybe they just don't understand. Maybe they don't understand that the God prompting upon our hearts to, to do something in particular. And sometimes they think they're being helpful when they offer their experiences or offer their resources. You know, King Saul, as we know the story, you know, he said, all right, well, if you're willing, you can go, but how about you take my armor? And he tries to put David in, in, in his armor. But it, when people do that, when, when that happens, when when God's leading us or calling us, or a challenge is there, and we're moving forward in, the, in God, when we try to use something else, it doesn't fit properly. It's not going to work for us. We've got to take on what God's given us, the resources he's given us. So what David did in his... In his explanation to the king of why this was possible, he sort of said, well, I've seen God protect me in the past. I faced the lion and the bear when they came in and take my sheep. And I either scared them off or I killed them. And so if I can do that with a lion and bear, I believe God's going to give me the resources to do that to this giant. So what David did was held on to the past promises. He sort of said, no, look, I've seen God provide here. I've seen God protect here. And that's enough for me to know that he can do it again. In verses 36 and 37, he says this. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And I love the fact that the aspect that David really sort of got angry about was that this guy was defying not just the armies of Israel, but God's army. He had a heartfelt conviction that, no, we're God's people. He hadn't forgotten that. He knew who he was. He had a, 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 a true identity. And so sometimes we may need to make sure that we know our, our identity. I mean, Phoebe heard a great talk on that at the, the conference. We'll have to fill in later about that one. But What it means to have just that right identity and choosing to go, no, this is who I am. I am a child of God. David decided, no, I am. A true is the light. Yeah, I don't just fight for myself. I fight for my God, and He fights for me. So David goes out, and does he do? Picks up five stones. So somewhere in that valley, that would have been a bit of a creek. I think it's quite impressive that they could hear Goliath on one side. Yeah, whether he went down into the valley and started his yelling and the echo, either way, quite a quite a gap. But David made his way down. Scripture says he picks five stones out of the creek. And I love what David says to Goliath. You know, go to verse 45. So David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Yeah, he didn't hold back. But his reasoning, the reason why he said, No, I'm willing to challenge you because you've defied my God. By defying his people, you've defied him. And so I'm the one bringing the judgment against you. And so he finishes off, verse 47. He says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. How many songs, how many great statements have we heard around, that the battle belongs to the Lord? the battle is the Lord's and he'll give you into our hands. So the battle begins and it's pretty much over before it even starts. Yeah. Goliath takes a step towards David, David starts to move towards him, starts winding that sling up with the first stone, lets it rip. Scripture says that it sinks into the forehead of Goliath. No, very true. That comes up in a little bit. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. No, no, it's a good highlight. It's a good highlight. But what I want to do now is just take, you know, we're familiar with the story. I'll spend a bit of time on it, but I just want to wrap it up with a bit of a closer look. And just, I guess, give a, a different perspective to this story. And this aspect of my message, you know, I, I've got to give credit where I, where I, where I hear things. You know? I listened to a TED Talk from this guy called Malcolm Gladwell, and he just gives a different perspective on this story for, for sake of what he was making his point, but I want to use some of his points but bring out something a bit different. But he just pulls it apart a little bit more. And what he does is he de- describes that, you know, the nature of armies is that there was different categories and different types of warriors. The fact that Goliath was this hulking giant in big, heavy armor, he was what they would have d- described as heavy infantry, hand-to-hand combat. And for whatever reason, he expected and maybe the Israelites expected to, all oh, if he's a hand-to-hand combat man, we've got to send in a hand-to-hand combat man. But David, if he was a part of the army, he would have been a different part of the army. Because if he could use that sling, they were actually, there's, there's records of armies and, and other medieval um, images and, and pictures of slingers being right there alongside the archers. Because they could could be dead accurate. (laughs) And the momentum that that sling would make, and the the guy in the video sort of described the the mass of it a little bit, saying, well, you know, if the sling was maybe about a metre long, the velocity of doing that, he says it's probably rotating seven or eight times a second while he's swinging this thing around. And he noted that apparently the rocks in that valley they're a type of rock, they're a, they're, they're a um, uh, uh, oh, I did have it written down. Where is it? That no, must have been on my computer. I don't know the name of the rock, but it's a type of rock that's, 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 that's generally heavier than most other rocks. It was a particular type of mineral that, you know, if we just had a normal sort of granite stone, this one would actually feel quite a bit heavier. So not only was he swinging that thing fast, but it was quite a heavy projectile. And this, the guy in the video was saying, well, the mass of it, he says, it would be like a 45-caliber 40, bullet, that thing coming out of the sling. It would hit and it would hit hard. And so he described this difference between you know, the, the heavy infantry and the slingers. So these people would be part of the battle, but they wouldn't have to get up close, would they? They could keep a distance. And the fact is, as Paul stands out, you know, David reduces that distance. He sees Goliath and he runs at him and goes, no, I'm going to make sure this first hit makes a difference. And so already, we have a bit of a twist on this underdog story. We start to realize, well, yeah, the odds were stacked against David, but at the same time, he understood who he was. He understood his abilities and his gifts. And that gave him a confidence to go, no, God's already given me the resources. And on the flip side... I know we paint Goliath as this hulking giant that was just going to cause absolute mayhem to ever faced him. But again, people have looked at it and go, well, the only signs of people being giants is actually a deformity. There's there's, there's this um, condition called uh, gigantism where it's actually a tumour on the pituitary gland. So the body just keeps growing. So this is Robert Wadlow. He's he's the, the modern... Um, tallest man in the world. Some Guinness Book Records, I remember as a kid looking at it, and they would make reference to Goliath. So I'd say, well, Scripture describes Goliath as about 10 foot tall. Robert Wadlow only got to about 8 feet 1, but still, that's pretty darn tall. Um, and so they, people look at this Scripture and go, well, if, if Goliath was that tall, the only evidence we've got of what could make that possible was this. But part of the problem with this is that it came with its issues. Having this condition actually had some negative side effects. It affects movement and coordination. And in particular, it actually weakens the person's vision. Because where the tumour has to sit puts pressure on the um, op- op- optic nerve as well. And so when you read again, with that sort of idea in your head, you realise going, well, giant, had the, the giant the Goliath had an attendant, didn't he? He had someone leading him out. I wonder if that was also just so he wouldn't actually fall over because he couldn't quite see well, and his coordination maybe wasn't all that great. He looked imposing. He looked the part, but just maybe, just maybe he had some issues that were actually a bit of a weakness. And in verse 43, he says to David, you know, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Plural. Maybe his vision wasn't so great. <laughs> David came with his and staff, and in Goliath's eyes, he saw two. Maybe he had some blurred vision. And the verse... Paul was talking about there, 48, you know, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, it didn't say quickly, it says David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. And maybe Goliath actually wasn't that quick. Maybe he had to take careful steps because of this condition. And yeah, maybe he was quite strong and maybe that javelin and that spear and the length of his arms gave him an advantage in hand-to-hand combat. You know, he could start swinging well before anyone else could. But against a slinger... A jolly big target, isn't he? So I'm telling you this: not to belittle what David did. Not to take away, particularly, God's involvement in this. Yeah. God was definitely for David and, and got behind him and, and, and led to this victory. But just maybe. Sometimes when we face giants in our life, we're giving him too much credit. Maybe we're we're seeing this problem. And they look gigantic, but in reality, they're just loud. Maybe in reality, they're quite weak. And maybe in reality, those small things like a simple sling are actually the most powerful tool against that giant. So I guess the challenge for today is that when we're facing our giants, when we're facing troubles in our lives, and you're looking at yourself going, I'm just me. Who am I to face this? So, you know, what have I got that can go against this? First step, look back. Remember when God has provided and stepped in time for you because I'm sure all of us have got an example of that. Grab a hold of those. and Go, well, God did it for me there. Why am I dating him now? And look at your resources and realize, well, hang on. What has God given me? What tools has God given me? And realize that those tools aren't little. They're not, they're not insignificant. What God gives us is exactly what we need. They're the most effective tool in whatever the battles we're going to face. So I love how it wraps up the story. Yeah. So David triumphs over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Yeah, we serve a great God. And I love these sorts of images. <laughs> yeah. Goliath thought he was all this and all that, and the Philistines thought they had it in the bag. But God had a different narrative. God had a different story. So let's not give the giants too much credit in our lives. Let's realize that, you know, the enemy comes at us sometimes imposing and making himself known, looking like a big scary thing with loud words and and threats. But I'll tell you what, compared to our God, He's hollow. He's nothing. He's an awkward giant that can't see straight. But we serve a God that gives us the tools, that gives us the resources to be effective, to have victory. Amen? Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you're doing in this church and in your people here, Lord God. And I just ask, God, that you just lead us and guide us in every way. Lord God, show us, Lord God, the reality of the battles that we're in. Show us the realities of the the enemy and the trials we're facing and that even though they might sound imposing, that they actually aren't because you've given us more than enough resources to face those giants. And that we can step out in faith because you've been faithful in the past. Not only to us in our own past, but in the past of others before us. Time and time again, you are faithful. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Amen.